0: In today's episode, we'll learn how Rinku Patel went from losing everything in the 08 crisis to leading now the CRE Women's Mastermind Group and growing an enormous flex space portfolio, which has proven to be significantly more passive than other asset types she's been involved in. Let's get into the episode after a brief introduction about the show. This is the Passive Real Estate Strategies Podcast where we educate career-driven individuals who have tapped out their earning potential, learn about passive real estate investing, so you can continue building your wealth without compromising your time or taking on more responsibilities. I'm your host and managing partner at Realm Investors, a multifamily syndication group who has helped multiply millions of dollars for our passive investors. Thanks for tuning in, and let's get on with the show. Hey, investors. Welcome back to Passive Real Estate Strategies. Today, I am sitting down with Rinku Patel. Now, Rinku is a phenomenal woman. Now, she at one point, not to give away her whole story, but actually lost it all and filed bankruptcy and now actually leads the CRE Women's Mastermind and has an enormous portfolio. She's here to share her knowledge for passive investors, passive investors who maybe want to go active, for anybody who really wants to learn about investments and real estate. And she is such a phenomenal person to know. So Ritu, thank you so much for coming on the show. We're excited to have you.
1: Justin, thank you for having me. And it's a pleasure to be on the show.
0: Hey, So tell us a little bit about, you know, we were talking before we started recording, but you really have seen all sorts of parts of it, right? You've seen the highs, you've seen the lows, and you've stuck with it. You're what I like to call an 08 survivor, uh, a (laughs) graduate of the 08 crisis. You know, tell us, tell us about that.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Kind of, you know, I started, I'd say in my early twenties with these few properties that we purchased and they were single tenant occupant buildings, pretty much, you know, And for a time, it was really good. And then when 2007 and 2008 happened, we pretty much, you know, lost the tenants and could not refill those vacant buildings at that point. And they were in such a small town that it was just hard for new businesses to come in. And that kind of trickled down to as I had my home as collateral and everything else tied into these loans. Yeah, I ended up losing everything at one point. So, started from scratch all over again. Oh, it's about 14 years ago.
0: Yeah. How did you know, I guess, to stay at it? Because, right, whether it's emotionally or financially or for some other reason, you know, like that, an enormous loss like that takes a lot of people out of the game or out of that industry. And I'm not blaming anybody who does step away at that point. But how did you know, okay, I just need to rebound from this? I need to keep going. Did you have any doubts or were you always full steam ahead?
1: No, you know what? I had the same doubts. I went through the same thing that a lot of these people experienced of just, you know, having the failure, having, you know, losing everything and not knowing what I'm going to do next, right, really threw me off. And it was a dark period. And it's the fact that, you know, I just had the courage and the faith to kind of just say, you know what, I'm just going to keep doing I just have to come out of it because I have family involved in there. I have two kids. So it kind of just made me come back to it. But it did take me time as I stepped away and uh, went to go work for somebody else.
0: Yeah. Yeah. So I think that's what, you know, again, we were talking about it before the show. I think stepping away and maybe working for some other people, some other companies gave you a lot of the knowledge you have today. They kind of bounced back a lot from that. But before we dive into that, I want to talk about so you were heavily invested in, it sounds like, single-tenant properties. And in these smaller, were they secondary markets, tertiary markets? How, how small were they in the markets you were in?
1: Oh, the markets were really small. They were about hundred to 150,000 population in, that, in okay. those towns. Okay. So
0: What's well, that terrible? We've, it's we've, not
1: terrible when the town hasn't had a growth in 10 years. It, yeah. it kind of yeah. wasn't the
0: mm-hmm. best. And so tell us about that single-digit property asset class, you know, what are the pros? What are the cons? It sounds like one of the cons we kind of heard about, you you have the one tenant in the name, right? So if something happens to that tenant, it, it can be hard to rebound from that. But what drew you to that asset class to begin with?
1: You know, the fact that it had, and again, you know, this was in my early 20s. So again, the mistakes I've made, right, mm-hmm. of not doing my full due diligence on it, you know, and the town being small was one, not growing town was another thing. The fact that, it had a triple net income was what I was looking at, right? Because everyone nowadays talks about, oh, you need triple net leases, triple net leases. But nobody teaches you, hey, what happens when you're in a single tenant building? What type of a safety net do you have? What type of personal guarantee you're going to have after a certain period of time or for the full term? So a lot of those things are not pretty much discussed when you look at a single tenant buildings.
0: And I'm actually not too versed in the single tenants strategy either. But from what I understand, and I would like for you to tell me whether I'm right in what I've heard or I'm totally wrong, it's, I think some of the pros, some of the reason why people love that asset class is because, okay, yes, you have one tenant a lot of times in that triple net setting. Once you have a tenant and it's a very good creditworthy tenant, you're almost set, right? If you have a really right. tenant, you you stick, they stick around. The terms are typically very long, maybe 10 plus years with some built-in rent increases. But the cons, and I guess some things that might shy people away is it, it, they seem harder to fill. So your vacancies might be a little bit longer, um, it might be harder to find a creditworthy tenant. But once you do, you're sitting pretty good. Is that the gist of the single tenant strategy?
1: You're absolutely right. Because, you know, let, let's say, yeah, it's amazing if you have a tenant like Starbucks or Chipotle, right? Those are corporate leases. They're going to pay those leases. But what happens when that corporate lease turns into a franchise lease, right? Now a franchisee owns that. And what if the franchisee can't sustain to be in that location? Right. So at that point, that's where, you know, things kind of get a little murky. And that's when you kind of really got to do your due diligence to say, if that's going to happen to one of your buildings, what type of protection are you going to have to cover the remaining of that lease?
0: Protections? Do you mean like specifically with that lease? A lot of personally guaranteed leases, because we see that more so, yeah. right? If you have a, a maybe a small smoothie shop that that's just family owned, they might say, "Hey, this lease is personally guaranteed. If you can't pay it through business operations, you have to pay it through your personal personal finances for X amount of terms." Is that what you mean?
1: That's what I mean. But then you know, in a lot of the cases, also I've experienced this with my buildings is that even though I have a personal guarantee, the person has no assets. Right. what am i really going after right yeah and and that's just a normal typical retail lease that i have and everyone does have a personal guarantee and i've been through this <laughs> with a couple of tenants they have no assets and i'm just you know wasting my money with attorney fees and trying to go after them
0: yeah Yeah, and so is that something that you still, do you still have single tenant in your portfolio? Is that something you totally shied away from or have you made adjustments so that you're more comfortable staying in that class or what's your journey look like since then?
1: So, you know, single tenant buildings right now on retail are pretty much around four cap, five cap, right? Mm -hmm. Which is a lot less on cash on cash return. Correct. Because I look for deals that have higher cash on cash return plus a value add, None of those single tenant retail spaces really fit in my portfolio at this time, but doesn't mean that I won't look at it again. I think, you know, what I was working on is I need to build the foundation of having all the different classes of assets in my portfolio and then go into single tenant. But, oh, definitely one day I would definitely look at them.
0: Okay. And so what are you, for those investors out there now, because I, you know, I think a lot of people that listen to shows like this, they either may not be as seasoned. So it could even be possible that the thought of even owning a retail center or a restaurant or something like that is so overwhelming that you can't even wrap our heads around it. So how, how do you balance out? Like, What classes are you, assets are you in now? What have you seen on the horizon that if you were going to start all over with your portfolio now- um, you're looking for those cash on cash returns. You're looking for that type of value add. What kind of asset classes are you seeing that are very promising now?
1: So flex space mm-hmm. is really hot right now. Um, Explain
0: that to us. What does that mean?
1: Okay, flex space is basically a. Most of the time, typically, it's a metal building. Mm-hmm. Might have portion of it brick or rock or something like that on the bottom foundation, but main, mainly it's a metal building.
0: Mm-hmm. It
1: has bay doors. And then it has a small section within that space that has a office and a bathroom area. Uh So give you an example. If there is a building, a 7,000 square feet building, they would pretty much split it up into, let's just say, 2,100, 2,200 square feet each space. And each space would have its own bay door, would have its own entrance door with an office space and a bathroom in it. So now you've created 7,000 square feet of metal building into three different tenants. And you can have three different businesses lease out all three of those spaces.
0: Okay. So you kind of dilute that single tenant risk essentially. Correct. Got it. And so a lot of times, so it sounds like they have bay doors. So this is kind of for storage, it's for shipping or they tend to be larger operations. It sounds like.
1: Not not typically because look, if you look at a, that's we'll throw it out there. Let's just throw it out there for numbers. Is a 2000 square feet each space, right? In that okay. building. And That would pretty much fit for any car place, like a tent place, anything Mm -hmm. that they, maybe a spray booth place that spray cars, right? Could be a plumbing business that they send their crews out to. It could be a pest control company that store all their products and then dispatch their services. I mean, it could be a roofing place. It could be gutters place. There's so many different options for these type of places. Because one, they can use it for their one to two office people because there's office area. So they have their billing person. They can be in and out. They can have it as, you know, their call center or something like that as well. And then their crews to come in to, you know, grab products, materials, or any of that stuff.
0: Yeah. And that's really good too, because like you said, people are in and out of there. They're not so much in. It's sort of a storage and then they need to come in every now and then for, for something, pick something up or they're there for their lunch break and then they're kind of yeah. right back out. So, um, okay. So you like flex space. Is there anything else that you're really interested in right now?
1: So I've got, actually we're closing tomorrow on a co-working place as well.
0: Very cool. Um, yeah.
1: That's very hot right now too, especially in smaller towns. It's really hot, you know, smaller little downtown areas.
0: Okay. Interesting. Right I didn't think that would be a small town thing. I felt like, because I see them a lot in like the Phoenix Valley or in San Diego and Southern California. So I didn't know that that was a smaller town thing that was popular as well. You just think it's such a, a hip thing to do for the vibes of these big downtown areas. I didn't know yeah. out quite a bit. Okay. So that's really interesting. So for those investors out there, you know, who are looking at deals and a lot of times, again, a lot of the people listening are, are passive investors, at least for right now. And they're looking, they say, Hey, I have money. I don't know what assets to put them in. I don't know what operators to put them in. I, I don't really know what to look for. If you were passively investing right now, let's say you just you absolutely had to be a passive investor. You couldn't do it yourself. And I know people like us, we love to work in the real estate game, but you had to be passive. What would you start doing? Would you start researching separate asset classes? Would you start looking at different operators? What would you avoid? Kind of give us a little bit of runway.
1: So, if you're truly pretty much fresh and you want to do something like this on your own and have the least amount of work, and that's that's kind of how I got back into the game, right? when I said I'm going to go on my own and do this. you know, I found a flex-based building and pretty much found a tenant in due diligence period, and then have one tenant that has been there for a while kind of gave them a little break on their rent mm-hmm. and said, "Hey, I need you to manage." maintaining the law, anything goes wrong, all those kind of things. And that person manages everything for me. Interesting. And all I do is I just have a monthly auto, you know, invoice program in my QuickBooks that gets mailed out to them 15 days before every first of the month. And they yeah. just pay online. So that's that's something passive, it. right?
0: Yeah. So you kind yeah. of made the tenant the manager at that point.
1: Yeah, and- absolutely. <laughs> Gave him a little bit of a break on the rent. Right. But again, you know, that eliminates from me doing any work, me ever going there, me ever trying to check up on them, except for, you know, when the tenants are kind of saying, hey, I no longer want the space, or I'm looking to sure. relocate, finding another tenant.
0: Okay. How how labor intensive is it to find another tenant? Are you hiring brokers for that? Some people hire brokers, or some people might post on like LoopNet or Craigslist or something like that. How, how difficult is it to find tenants for these types of properties?
1: So- Currently, it's not that hard because there is so much demand right now for flex space, industrial space that you can't find a space right now. So they're pretty easy to fill up right now.
0: Interesting. Okay. So it's not too labor intensive to fill up. Now, how about, so let's say, you know, somebody takes your advice, which I hope somebody listening does, a lot of people do, and they're looking to buy that first flex space. And then they have some cash and they want to be the investor, the owner there, what Types of things should they look for? Uh, What's the due diligence process like? What are the your biggest red flags to the next deal that you're looking at?
1: Okay, so first of all, I would look at what tenants are in there, what type of a rent they're paying, if they're below market or they're at market, right? So that helps you evaluate what your cash on cash potentially could be higher or would it stay the same? Mm -hmm. I definitely look at the structure of the building. I would look at roof if it's in, you know good condition if there's any leaks or anything like that. And pretty much, you know, and you can have inspections done for the roof and the building to figure out before closing, if there are any major issues that you need to have those addressed with the seller.
0: Okay. And so what do you look for in those tenants? So you want to know what they're paying versus what the market should be paying for that. You're looking at their credit. Do you care if it's a big company, a local company, or what are some things that you look for in that specific business?
1: So I definitely do look for their financials. I definitely do have them submit their personal financial statement. Mm -hmm. And every time you do a lease with them, or even if you're going to redo a new lease with them, put it in there as you're going to require a quarterly sales numbers from them. So you are aware of saying, okay, if there is, let's just throw it out there. You have a restaurant in one of these buildings, right? And an average number for restaurants to pay rent is anywhere from eight to you know 14% of their sales. If you're already getting that, you know that they're able to pay it. If they're not having the sales, you have a lot of time to kind of say, I know there is going to be a day that they're going to come and say, hey, I no longer can afford this space. Yeah. So you've already you know been prepared for and you've already been looking for this.
0: Mm-hmm. Do a lot of your leases with tenants have some type of profit share or is it fixed rental amount?
1: They're all fixed rental amount. And actually, so they're different based on, right? I have some that are gross leases and I have most of them are triple net leases.
0: Okay. And so is there, are you purposely avoiding the percentage lease structure or is it just personal preference? Is it popular in this industry to do something like that?
1: It is and it isn't. I mean, again, I don't know if I'm bringing in a tenant that I don't know their business and I don't know their capabilities of what they're able to Manage and how they would run this business. I don't know that. So I wouldn't want to risk that not knowing their personality and if I would, you know, be able to work with that or not.
0: Yeah. Interesting. So while I think this is a ton to digest, you know, especially for me, who's somebody who's not in the flex space, even with a lot of my commercial real estate knowledge, it's just such a different asset class. I think a lot of passive investors they may not quite understand how vastly different each investment class is. They think, hey, if you kind of understand commercial, you can kind of figure it all out. You know, you might have some of that knowledge there and the fundamentals might be the same, but it's so much different and so eye-opening to hear about your experience. So this has been a really, really awesome show. I mean, Rinku, how can people get a hold of you and who should maybe reach out?
1: So I actually also run a women's mastermind for commercial real estate. So you guys can reach me at CRE Women Mastermind on Instagram, Facebook, or you can also email me at Rinku at investbeyondmultifamily.com.
0: Perfect. Listeners, we're going to put those resources in the show notes. And while you're there, of course, if you haven't already, make sure you download our free ebook, The Definitive Guide to passive real estate strategies all of those links will be in the show notes thank you thank you so much for coming on it's been fantastic
1: thank you so much Justin for having me I really appreciate it
0: well that's it for today's show make sure you subscribe so you don't miss any future episodes and if you're looking to learn more about passive real estate investments make sure you head to our show notes and download our free ebook the definitive guide to passive real estate strategies where we reveal the ins and outs of of the truly passive ways to invest in real estate. We'll see you on the next episode.